good morning. It's joyful to be here with all of us together as we begin this seventh week of Easter. When we gathered on Friday, you'll recall we were with Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, and they had been in Corinth and they had left Corinth. They stopped off in Chencre, as Luke tells us with detail, and Paul got a haircut. And then they were heading back to Jerusalem. That was the return leg of his second missionary journey. And this morning, four years have passed, roughly, approximately four years have passed from when uh, we were, where we were on Friday, on their way back to Jerusalem, they, were, they stopped on the way back to Jerusalem in Ephesus for about three years and then continued on to Jerusalem. They were in Jerusalem some period of time and then uh, embarked again on his third missionary journey. He headed up through what is today modern Turkey, through Turkey to the west, down south into Corinth again, stayed in Corinth another perhaps perhaps year and has now returned. And we, bring, we pick up this morning in Miletus, this city that's on the kind of the northeast coast of the of the Adriatic Sea, and they're heading south, and we hear today in some detail from Luke the, the uh, fact that they had stopped at a number of islands along the western shore of modern-day Turkey, and they're heading back to Jerusalem for the final time. This passage today in, in Acts from Luke is called Paul's Last Will and Testament. Some of the beautiful language we heard, it's Paul's Last Will and Testament. He offers that that sobering message of many of you I see now, of, of you I see now, none of you will see me again. So he knows he's going back to Jerusalem, likely to be arrested and ultimately die. It's also in this uh, passage from Acts that, again, attention to language, we see the many we's. Now, Luke is the author of Acts, and he's writing we, 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 when we were here, when we were there, when we were there giving us then testimony to the fact that Luke was a traveling companion of Paul as well, and that Luke spent time with him, not only in Antioch, as we heard uh, two weeks ago, but spent time with him on these journeys. We don't know if it was the second or third journey. We definitely know it was the third journey, because we is there. He also offers us great insight. So on Friday, we were in chapter 18, and... Uh, over the weekend, if you read through that, we were in 19, and now here we are in 20. What's interesting, uh, if we go back and look again, is in 20, we begin today in chapter, or in chapter 20 in verse 17, but if you just jump up a little bit, we have more of this beauty of Acts revealed, where Luke gives us lots of names and lots of places and lots of locations and dates. So you've heard me say that before, Acts is facts and facts is Acts. It's it's engaging to read Acts because we can reflect on the idea that Luke, having written this manuscript, his letter to Theophilus, that copies of this would have begun to have been distributed in the early church. And hearers of this in real time could have been in the company of a person so named in the letter because that person quite probably was still alive. But give me an example. When they're on their returned leg of this journey now, this is in chapter 20, Paul leaves Corinth and he heads north, what is then called Macedonia, to get to the coast so he can get on a boat and head back to Jerusalem. So they stop at a coastal city called Troas, Troas. And he tells us, Luke tells us this, 
So Peter, the son of Phyrus from Berea, that's a place where Paul had stopped, accompanied him, as did Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, as did Gaius from Derbe, Timothy, Tychius, Trophimus from Asia, who went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. So Luke is giving us that detail, people and places that we could inquire about contemporary to this letter being read. On the first day of the week when we had gathered to break bread, boy, what's that sound like? On the first day of the week when we had gathered to break bread. So here within the immediacy of Christ's resurrection, the early church is already beginning to celebrate this Eucharistic gathering on the first day of the week. We carry that so, 20 centuries later, we carry that so. But today, focus in Acts is Paul's farewell speech at Miletus, his, his last will and testament. And he had the presbyters come, the, the leaders of the early church, early community come, and he addressed them. You know that I lived among you the whole time from the day I first came to the province of Asia. I served the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials that came to me because of the plots of the Jews. And I did not at all shrink from telling you what was for your benefit or from teaching you in public or in your homes. I bore witness. Beautiful statement. So he's giving us an example of how to live out the faith in his own personal life. He, he wasn't a talker, he was a doer. Certainly a talker, but he was a doer. And he, he gives us evidence of how to live out the faith. And he says these beautiful words, sobering words, verse 25. But I know that none of you to whom I preach the kingdom during my travels will ever see my face again. And so I solemnly declare to you this day that I am not responsible for the blood of any of you, for I did not shrink from proclaiming to you the entire plan of God. Keep watch over yourselves and over the whole flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you overseers. How beautiful is that? And how do we interpret that phrase, I'm not responsible? Well, we can incorporate that into our own life. We have the responsibility of living out the faith as authentically as we can, don't we? But we ultimately don't own another's decision. You can't make another person believe anything. You certainly can't make another person believe in God. That is not something you can make happen. We live our life authentically. We offer compassion. We offer generosity of spirit. We offer generosity of resources. But we don't make anyone believe something. You can't make that. Our conviction in faith is not of coercion. It's of, it's of invitation and, and ultimately an individual decision. And so Paul is encouraging us in those words. Let's now jump again to our gospel narrative. We've been the past... Uh, four days, five days in chapter 17, and it's known as Christ's priestly prayer. And he begins with those words. He, John tells us in describing it, he says, when Jesus had said this, he raised his eyes to heaven and prayed to the Father. Boy, isn't that a model for all of us is to, to be acknowledging of, of God, the Almighty Father. And our orientation is upward, it's one of our submission and our humility before him. We're, God is everywhere. He's not necessarily a north-south orientation, but, but raising our eyes gives indication of our recognition of our, ourselves in, in uh, comparison to his, man, his magnificence. And he tells us again, we heard this same gospel passage on Sunday, didn't we? Which is, now this is eternal life, that you should know the only true God, the one to whom you sent and the one whom you sent, Jesus Christ. 
If we look again in chapter 6 of John's Gospel, for, for Catholics, chapter 6 is an anchor chapter. It's the bread of life discourse. But in there is this beautiful passage that we can reflect on. And it's this in 6. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me. And I will not reject anyone who comes to me because I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I should not lose anything of what he gave me, but I should raise it on the last day. Isn't that beautiful? That God who created us, who intentioned that every single life live, who intentioned in his grace, we don't merit it, but intentioned in his grace that we would be exposed to the narrative, we would learn about it, we'd be inquisitive, and we would, we would decide ultimately at some point in our life that it's true, walking sometimes in doubt, but believing that it's true, we're called forward into faith. And God's promise to us is that none of us, having made that decision, would be lost. We can turn our back on Christ. We can turn our back on God in our life. We can decide, I'm not interested anymore and live in our own individual disobedience. We can do that, but we're not lost if at some point we will turn again and come back to Jesus as the prodigal son or daughter, that we turn and come back. We turn and come back. We're always welcome to do that. There's no limit to God's mercy. None of us to be lost. God's promise to us through Jesus Christ. Let's go forward now, brothers and sisters, in our Eucharist, gathering on that third day of the week today, third day of the week, breaking bread together as our early church members did, our, our ancestors in the faith, realizing the promise in which we live, that none of us are lost. All of us are found forever if we simply in humility turn to him and seek to do his will with the authenticity that any of us can best offer. Amen.